0: This is Riva from San Jose, California, and I'm with my soon-to-be six-year-old daughter Jatia. Hi, I'm Jatia. She just finished her first one kilometer freestyle swim. We're about to celebrate with ice cream. This podcast was recorded at
1: twelve forty-seven PM Eastern Time on Friday, July 14th.
0: Things may have changed by the time you hear it, but we'll still be practicing for the swim to Alcatraz. Enjoy the show.
1: swim to Alcatraz. It's so cold. <laughs> hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House.
0: I'm Mara Liasson, national political correspondent.
1: And NPR's chief economics correspondent, Scott Horsley, is here. Hello, Scott. Great to be with you The president is emphasizing the economy as the heart of his reelection campaign, and so are his allies. It's all part of the Bidenomics push. Bidenomics is driving competition and choice. It
0: shows that the president's policies, Bidenomics, uh, is working. Bidenomics is
1: working. Guess what? Bidenomics is working. That's advisor Ali Zaidi, acting Labor Secretary Julie Su, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and of course, the big guy himself. And taking ownership of the economy comes with some risks. The federal deficit nearly tripled in the first nine months of the fiscal year compared to the same period last year. That adds nearly $1.4 trillion to the national debt. So, Scott, what happened? How did the budget get so out of whack?
2: Well, it's a combination of increased spending and reduced tax receipts. Uh, That's a recipe for a yawning federal deficit. Revenues are down about 11% in the first nine months of the fiscal year. Remember last year, the the stock market didn't perform very well. Uh, People weren't selling a lot of uh, stocks at a profit, Uh, so their capital gains taxes were smaller in 2023. Now, that could turn around next year. The stock market's doing uh, better now, and so maybe we'll get an influx of capital gains taxes in 2024. At the same time, uh, the government's spending about 10 percent more money. Uh, Social security recipients got uh, the largest uh, cost of living adjustment in four decades at the beginning of this year. That was to help keep pace with last year's inflation rate. And so we see spending in those areas is all up pretty substantially.
1: I know that people who care about the deficit are shouting from the rooftop saying, somebody pay attention, care about this.
0: But Mara, do voters care about this? I don't think so. They used to care about it. They used to care about it a lot more. Then we had a president Donald Trump who didn't care about the deficit, who talked about how he loved debt. And it turns out we just went through a big fight about spending that was supposedly about the deficit, which by the way Republicans in Congress only care about when there's a Democratic president in the White House. But no one talked about a grand bargain to um to finally bring the deficit down, to do something about entitlements. What the Republicans proposed in the debt ceiling deal was very small potatoes. They didn't address any of the big drivers of the deficit. So I would say that people care about jobs. They really care about inflation. But no, the deficit is not as big a deal politically as it used to be.
1: Is there a risk for President Biden in owning up to embracing Bidenomics? or, or is this a necessary thing to just, like, tell people what he's actually doing?
0: Yeah, I don't think he's taking a risk because the Republicans are going to hang all the bad things about the economy around his neck anyway. He might as well jump in with both feet and take full ownership of all the good things, which he's trying to do. And the problem with this economy is it's very confusing. There's a lot of good things. Inflation is coming down. Wages, blue-collar wages are going up. Job creation is going up.
2: Wages are, on average, up 4.4%, while prices were only up 3%. So wages are finally growing faster than prices. That means workers are actually seeing their buying power increase uh, for the first time in a while.
0: We are also in this weird political moment where a president's approval ratings and the economy have been disconnected. They used to be completely connected. And uh, I think Biden has no choice but to take credit by calling this economic moment Bidenomics or the result of Bidenomics, uh, because presidents get the blame for everything bad anyway. They might as well take credit for the good stuff.
1: We're going to leave it there for now. Mara and Scott, thank you so much.
0: Good to be with you. Thanks a lot.
1: And we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, young voters who live in rural places. And we're back with Elena Moore and Jimena Bustillo. Hello. Hey, hey there. Tim. So, you both have been reporting on an intersection in the electorate that does not get much attention. Rural voters lean red, young voters lean heavily blue. And yet there are plenty of young rural voters in this country, and both parties want their support. And you traveled to a state that is getting a lot of attention from the presidential candidates and from the parties, North Carolina, to talk to this very interesting group of voters. So what made you want to do this story?
3: We decided to go to North Carolina for several reasons, but so... The thing about young rural voters that's really fascinating is, like you said, young voters lean Democrat, rural voters lean Republican, but young rural voters are more split. And data from Tufts actually showed that in the 2020 election, the margins between Trump and Biden among rural young voters, among voters under 30, it was only like three percentage points. It's really close. So there's a little pocket here that for political nerds like ourselves is fascinating. So we got this group together. We, we chatted up a ton of people around the state. We talked to friends of friends. We talked to student leaders and put a group together to see where everyone's head was at. So you basically built your own focus group of young rural voters.
4: Uh, Jimena, tell us about some of the people you met. Yeah, it was definitely a people finding mission. (laughs) (laughs) I think we called like 50 people in this process. But ultimately, we ended up with six uh, students that happened to be a college student. One was a recent grad of different colleges across North Carolina. And they all came from some sort of rural area in North Carolina or currently live in a smaller town in North Carolina. They also were pretty evenly distributed in terms of political ideology. We had two that consistently vote Democrat, two that consistently vote Republican, and two that are more undecided and independent. But one tends to lean a little bit more to the right and the other tends to lean a little bit more to the left. So basically a very good sample of what the American electorate looks like
1: in this group. So what are the issues, even though they come from this broad cross-section of ideology, what are the issues that they all said matter to them?
4: Yeah, so there definitely was a really big focus on just wanting to build up their own communities, whether that is bringing jobs back, um, talking about the lack of infrastructure, lack of access to quality food, just really lack of opportunity. Uh, One of the students we talked to, Reagan Bunch, really focused on how she wants to be able to come back home and wouldn't leave if she didn't have to
3: there's just not a lot of industry. You either work for the school system or you're working in tourism or you're working low-level, entry-level jobs that will not lead to a full career. So for college students like myself who want to go back, it's really daunting to figure out how I'm going to do that. And Reagan, you know, identifies as a Republican. She's involved in young Republican groups. Another thing, though, that's interesting about her, is she's from this town called Hayesville. It's a town of around 400 people. Very small. And we asked her if she wanted to go back, and she said yes right away. It's something she's already thinking about, and she's still in school. And
4: they all did. They all nodded when we asked them if they... Would go back and live their lives in their hometowns if they could. A lot of what the Biden administration is trying to do is bring things back to those local communities, whether it's through uh, bringing back manufacturing sectors, for example, or talking about uh, climate change, rebuilding hospitals, rebuilding infrastructure. But that message isn't quite getting there. and. Whether or not we see those dollars immediately go to where they need to be, that bridge is not quite being crossed.
1: Yeah, I mean, President Biden travels a lot, talks about this a lot. Is it sinking in with these voters who clearly care about these issues, Elena?
3: I think that the the thing that clicked for me on this of how it is not sinking in is the issues that they do tie the president to. One of the students we spoke to, her name is Trinity Locklear. She's 20 and she's from Shannon, North Carolina. And she does not consider herself a political person. She actually leans kind of conservative, grew up in like a religious conservative family community. And when we asked her just about things that are on her mind, she brought up student loans. Politics don't really care. I, I need to go through school. And then uh, Biden introduced uh, loan forgiveness and I was like, ooh, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: you caught my attention
3: (laughs) all these students are from like Jimena said these small towns that you know may not have the best cell service and could use broadband you know like universal broadband which is something that the president is like touting a like a big thing he wants to do they could use these investments in their communities but they do link Biden to some things and one of them is this loan forgiveness program which we know is complicated
1: very complicated in that the Supreme Court said that the way the White House was trying to do it is not going to work and is not allowed. And so they're going to try a new thing, but it's going to take a long time and it's probably not going to be done before the election. In the time we have left, obviously, you must have also talked about social issues because they are animating forces in our elections this cycle. Um, So what did you hear about that?
4: We did talk to them with a couple of those uh, in North Carolina, specifically abortion has been top of mind just because they recently passed a 12 week abortion ban. So that is something a lot of voters of both political parties are talking about. And of course, that was a big issue in the 2022 midterms. When talking to them about abortion, they were pretty traditionally split down party lines in terms of Democrats wanted uh, less restrictions. The Republicans wanted more restrictions. But one interesting area of common ground that just naturally came up in discussion was how either way there needs to be more resources funneled to support mothers and babies after birth.
3: I think having that kind of more nuanced take was something we saw a lot with these voters they didn't agree on everything, but they would hear each other out and they would challenge each other's views. On one topic where it was particularly obvious was on guns and combating gun violence. They all had thoughts on it. And even on the Democratic side, I feel like the traditional thing we hear from Democratic leaders across the country is we need to curb gun violence. And part of that comes from regulating guns and and who gets a gun. And a lot of these students, Democrat or Republican or undecided, grew up with guns in their house. So like their takes on this are going to be a little more complicated. And one of the voters who, who spoke with us about this was A.J. Jacobs, and he's an 18-year-old from Pembroke.
2: I've been raised around guns. Both of my parents are concealed carry. I've shot guns. I mean, I don't think there's any problem with it, but I think there are absolutely laws that be put in place to make it harder for people to get a gun. And I don't think that's a bad thing if you're a law-abiding citizen.
3: And AJ is a Democrat. He has a lot of friends that don't, but this is something that he thinks people need to talk about more fully. And there were other people in the group like Trinity, who I mentioned earlier, who lean more conservative and have direct family that have been impacted by gun violence. Her cousin actually died pretty recently after he was shot by somebody in their county. So it's like they can see this issue as more than a talking point, even if they don't consider themselves political. It's like affecting them. And it's not an easy answer. So how are they
1: thinking about this upcoming election? And let me just add a bonus question, which is they are young people. Are they going to vote? Because that's always the dig on young people is that
4: eh, they may not vote. And so all six of them did tell us that they plan on voting for who. That's kind of the ultimate question for some of them. Uh, We did eventually get to talking about specifically the 2024 election, and we asked him about the prospect of another Biden versus Trump rematch specifically. Here's AJ again.
2: I mean, it's disappointing. You know, they're both old. I mean, they're both old as dirt. And I mean, I understand, you know, Biden's an incumbent president, but
4: he's
2: 80. I mean, (laughs) exactly.
4: Who said he's as old as dirt? That was Kayla Tran. Um, One thing that you didn't hear was the absolute cascade of laughter when all I said, we think they're." might be another Biden versus Trump. I didn't even ask a question. I just said the sentence and everyone erupted in immediate nervous laughter. (laughs) It was first it was silence. And we were like, what do you
3: think about that? And then it was just laughs all around. But yeah. Kayla Tran, she's 19. She's from Bath, um, North Carolina, and she goes to school at UNC Chapel Hill. And she said this line: "They're old as dirt." And it gets to this bigger thing that she was talking about, where she doesn't really care about either party, and she's just like not enthused by the fact that the front runners are old as dirt. Um, and is she an independent voter? Then she she's um, yeah, she considers herself an independent voter, but. You know, when we talked to her about what issues she cared about, she said abortion access. She said LGBTQ rights. Those are issues you would associate with the Democratic Party. All right. Well, we're going to
1: take a quick break and then it's time for Can't Let It Go. And we're back. And it's time to end the show like we do every week with Can't Let It Go, the part of the pod where we talk about the things from the week that we just cannot stop talking about, politics or otherwise. Jimena, what, can't you let go?
4: I discovered this week that there's a jeep ducking trend in which people are placing rubber duckies on jeeps. And apparently this has been happening since the early days of the pandemic. It actually seems to have started in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, But I recently learned about it, like this week. And a part of that was on uh, one of our work channels. Someone was asking about it. And so many people commented that they'd also been ducked. That's What's the duck, man? What is that? It, like a rubber ducky. Like, but a, why would
1: you put a rubber rubber
4: ducky on it? I have Jeep? not. Why would not you put a rubber ducky? Yeah, why on a wouldn't Jeep? you?
1: Because that's weird.
4: <laughs> They're cute,
1: though. Is I it, mean, so you're
4: just—it's just like a little delivery
1: of sunshine that says you're a Jeep person. I'm a Jeep person. Uh, we love our Jeeps. Is it because <laughs> Jeeps have their
3: windows open? They have like a good solid flat surface where you could put a bunch of ducks. Ah. Uh, I know a lot about cars, so that's just something I've got in my repertoire. Just I don't really know there. the
4: origin, but it doesn't seem threatening.
3: I, I think it kind of, it makes me think of how many dumb things we did during the pandemic because we were bored. Like the amount, like I made a fort out of like all of my chairs and like put blankets over <laughs> things. Like I understand, like I could have totally gotten to a place where I was like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to duck a car. Like, I that totally makes sense to me too. Yeah. Uh,
1: so Elena, what can you not let go of?
3: The thing I cannot let go of is all of the energy, tears, and brain cells that I've spent trying to get tickets to some of my favorite bands this year. And I have, I'm have i literally zero for, like, 100.
0: <sighs> I
3: i tried to get tickets for Taylor Swift. It did not work out. It went exactly as you thought it would. And I've had to watch everybody I know and their mother get tickets and watch it on TikTok and Instagram. And it's been sad for me. And then today it happened again. I went on the Ticketing site, which shall remain nameless, is website. Like Voldemort? Like, yeah. We'll just call uh it... Let's just call it Voldemort. That's what we'll say. I went on Voldemort's website, and I tried to get tickets to this incredible concert that's going to happen at Madison Square Garden. I'm from New York City. I was so excited. Ooh. Boy Genius and Muna are going to play at Madison Square Garden. They're these two indie rock pop girl bands, and I'm so excited to sing and cry. And it sold out within 20 minutes. And I just... I just want a world where I can go to these bands in peace, well not in peace but in happiness and not have to worry about getting sold out. But the the happy part of this story is that there's still hope for some. My sister went to Beyonce the other day and that was awesome. I'm sure there were people out there who also have similar plights that I do, but but the Beyonce was a, like going to see Beyonce was a success and you can still have fun at these shows. You just have to get a ticket. Well,
1: or you just have to like less popular bands.
3: Yeah, that's true. I should just find bad bands. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I mean, that's what I do. Or (laughs) just go back to being alt. Speaking of, Tam, what are you not letting go of? Well, what I cannot let go of
1: is this sea otter. That um, the New York Times headline is, she steals surfboards by the seashore. Oh, that's a good one. She's a sea otter. Oh,
3: this story. (laughs) Say that 10 times.
1: No, (laughs) I will not. Uh, But apparently the sea otter is like totally not afraid of humans or surfboards and has just like been jumping on and taking the boards more and more aggressively um her name is otter 841 um and unfortunately the gig is up for otter 841 because the California Department of Fish and Wildlife said in a statement that due to the increasing public safety risk a team from the department and the Monterey Bay Aquarium trained in the capture and handling of sea otters has been deployed to attempt
4: to capture and rehome her okay but at least she's only being rehomed she's
1: not i i mean I don't think they're sending her off to the farm. I think she's going
3: to get rehomed in a yeah. in a place where she does not have as much contact with humans. Do all of the otters have names like that? Because it sounds like Stranger Things. Like I thought it was going to be like Shannon's been jumping on everybody's surfboard. Silly Shannon.
1: Silly Shannon. Well, the the thing is that they are. Um you know, a threatened species yeah. and uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium mm-hmm. tracks oh. them and, uh, you know, and, and the Defic- Department of Fish and Mo- they track them. And so they have numbers.
3: If I was ever in a place where I was surfing and a and an animal that wasn't going to kill me jumped on my surfboard, I would take it home and I would be really happy Otters about it. Otters
1: could be mean. Otters can't live in your house. They need water that has salt. They're not like actual <laughs> puppies. They're just puppies of the sea.
4: Yeah, they're it's sea like, mermaids. Oh, okay. They're dog mermaids. But I will say, I always get a little sad when I read these stories just because, like, animals near people is, like, never a good thing. And, you know, as like, I went, like, hiking recently, and there was a bear that was really, really close to the parking lot. And I was like, that's not good for the bear. Also not good good for me. As someone that famously got bit by a fox, not good for the fox, not good for me. It's just animals around people it's never good i'm sorry for bringing up this
1: memory yeah it's traumatizing tam i just i should have known i shouldn't talk about animal human interactions with you Mm -hmm. well i hope that shannon is living a nice life in the aquarium now yeah no doubt in the aquarium all right that is a wrap for today our executive producer is mathani maturi our editor is Eric McDaniel. Our producers are Elena Moore and Casey Morel. Research and fact-checking by our intern, Lee Walden. Thanks to Krishnadev Kallamer and Lexi Shepittel. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House.
4: I'm Elena Moore. I cover politics. And I'm Humana Bustio, and I also cover politics.
1: And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.